Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank Last week, we finished up our positional reviews on the offensive side of the ball. Let's go to the other side. How about we talk some defense today? No, I think we should move on to talking about Delaware. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about the Blue Hens. (laughs) I was ready to say Mud Hens, but let's talk Delaware. What do you want to talk about about Delaware? Uh, I want to talk about how I don't know anything about Delaware, and we should probably talk about the Penn State defense. I seem, <laughs> I seem to have backed myself into a corner with a really lame joke, so uh, sorry. All right, then let's let's talk defense. Let's start right up front in the middle. Let's talk defensive tackle. And here's the narrative I hear from most Penn State fans. There was one guy who could play the one technique – that was P.J. Mustafer. He was the one big guy that we had on this defense of side of the ball. He's now gone, and there's no one left to replace them, replace him. Yeah. Is that an accurate narrative? Uh, actually, for once, yeah, it's pretty close. Now, I, I think the play of P.J. Mustafer last season was a little overstated, um, and really... I, I hate to be revisionist here because I was very high on PJ's abilities in 2021. He was very productive last season for Penn State. And by last season, I mean 2021. Um, he he had the ability to uh, penetrate, be quick, be disruptive. But as a one technique, he still struggled against double teams. So this is, this is nothing new. Like Penn State got run on by Wisconsin in the opening week. And that was part of his conversation coming out of that as he was challenged by his position coaches that he needed to get better at that. Fast forward to the Iowa game, we were going to see how that had progressed, and he gets hurt. So last season for Manny Diaz, he was exceptionally good at being a leader, being a part of the the a cog in the machine, but he was not a dominant force on the interior. He was good, he and, and better, much better than I expected, especially early in the season. But Penn State hasn't had a dominant PJ Mustafer, you know, person probably since. 2021 like you know that was the closest they've gotten with having that guy on the roster so it's not a new problem I guess is what I'm trying to say is even even before then PJ was playing three technique because uh Antonio Shelton was playing the the one and you know he was a good football player but certainly not a, a dominant force in the middle so Penn State wants to take a step at that position uh and they keep striking out in recruiting and they uh, did not find anybody in the portal this year. So it's it's an ongoing issue, but it is one that they've been working through for a while. Now, it, though, is still an issue. And from the Penn State fan, we look at these games where they have struggled. You go to Illinois in 21, where they play smash-mouth football. You think of teams like Iowa. You think of teams like Michigan who will all be on the schedule this year. And specifically, even if there were other issues in that Penn State-Michigan game in 22, the feeling was still, and James Franklin fed into it, 
bigger, yeah. stronger. So how big a problem is it that there is not a natural fit for that position? I guess I just come back to kind of what I just said is that they have uh, overcome it in the past. And I, I think it's an issue given the players that are on the roster right now um, for a couple of reasons. But it it will always be an issue in those games unless your offense scores 35 points. So a narrative about the Illinois game is they never made Illinois chase them. Illinois had one move. It was to run the football. And they kicked a lot of field goals. If Penn State has their normal offense that season and they play with a little, you know, Sean Clifford isn't hurt, blah, blah, blah. We've covered that ground before. Penn State doesn't go three and out to start two drives to, in, in the game and put some game pressure to get uh, Michigan to do things that they don't want to do. Well, look what happened in the Rose Bowl when they did that against a good Utah team. They forced Utah to throw the football. Utah's quarterback got hurt. You put in the backup, and then the game is over. So it, it, there's always a workaround, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There, there's always a workaround. I think Penn State can still win 11 games, but in certain situations, yeah, you know, in those games it's going to be a problem. But they'll have, they'll have to find a way to overcome it with um, the, the pieces they have on the roster. And the last thing that I, I want to say before we kind of get into the players here is that Manny Diaz's scheme moves people around so much. So sometimes the three technique is playing the A-gap. Sometimes they're stunting to get a different guy and just beat the double team. Like, not, not allow the, the offense to get the, the look that it wants. So that does also mitigate some of this stuff. But you can't stunt, slant, and, and do all of those things on every single play. You have to sometimes play the gap in front of you. And those really, so we're talking about a subset of games and then a subset of situations in those games where this is going to be a pain point. So reducing those is an important thing. But the guys you put in those situations, um, I don't see a guy that is a natural uh, person to step in for P.J. Mustafer without, I think, taking one for the team and playing out of position. Then let's stop talking about what they don't have and talk about what they do have and the personnel that is there. So do you even attempt then, as you said, put a player in to take one for the team and emulate a P.J. Mustafer, someone to put on the weight and do that? Or And who are those candidates if they do choose to go that route? Uh, so if they do choose to go that route, so I'll, I'll set this up this way. There, well, let's get to the end and we'll talk about the other way that they can play that will kind of de-emphasize this whole problem. But uh, the obvious answer on the roster right now is Kaziah Izzard. He's a veteran. He has been around uh, and has gotten bigger each year. And I think that's an important part of the conversation is he's got the frame to do it. I'm trying to pull up his measurables here quickly. But he's I've got six him at 6'3", 292. Yes. So 6'3", 292. His frame, he can play even a little bit bigger. But this is really the crux of the issue for me is that he was playing so well, especially as a disruptive run force even though he wasn't getting as many run snaps as some of the other guys, he was being very disruptive at the three technique. And I think that's the perfect position for him. Former defensive end, he's got that quickness. That's kind of where you want... Ideally, that's where you would stop the progression. So in Penn State's defense, Sam linebackers turn into uh, um, Will linebackers. Sometimes Will linebackers either turn into Mike linebackers or defensive ends. Mike linebackers sometimes turn into defensive ends if they don't have the athleticism to, to play in coverage. Similarly, defensive ends in high school turn into three techniques. Sometimes three techniques turn into nose tackles. 
But if you could just have a nose tackle, then you could have a guy with size and athleticism at that three technique and have the size you're looking for. That's the thing is like you are reducing your size at three technique by moving Izzard over and asking him to gain weight and I think play a little bit out of position. My concern would be he gets too big, he loses that explosiveness, and uh, he's not using his quickness to the best of its abilities. But he is the best oper- He is the best guy on the roster to do that, and I think that that would be the most logical guy to, to move over. The other guy I would move over, and we can talk about the depth after that, is Jordan Vandenberg. He is one of the stronger players on the team. He does lack the overall frame. He, 6'3", but kind of shorter arms, a little bit more of a small-framed guy who is pretty close, I think, to maxing out his his size. But what you're looking for here is not just size, it's strength. It's the ability to defeat double teams. That is ultimately the goal. You don't want to lose sight of the, the tree for the forest here. And he has the opportunity with his quickness and his aggression to defeat those double teams and make them um, irrelevant. So those are the two guys that played three last year that I would move over and have in the conversation at that one technique. All right, let's talk about some of the other names that are familiar to us. Devon Ellis is in there, Akeem Beam and Zane Durant. You've got Devon uh, Townley moving from defensive end to defensive tackle, as you spoke about. How, how do you put these pieces together, T. Frank? So Ellis is returning as, as a one. And that's what he's been most of his career. He is a, you know, I just talked about Vandenberg not really having the frame to play one technique. And, and a guy that is the kind of that blueprint is Ellie's, who's played at 300 pounds, but he is a very squatty guy. He doesn't have the length. He doesn't have the reach. And sometimes uh, I, I've, I've watched him struggle quite a bit getting glommed onto by offensive linemen and not being able to disengage, keep his shoulder free, keep his gap, and then make a play. So that's kind of the, the issue you've got with, Ellie's, I think everyone, it's pretty clear that he's a good veteran presence, but he's not a guy that's going to step in and be your starter. At least I I wouldn't assume so. So he's kind of pegged in, like lined in as your number two guy. Izzard would be the the starter at one technique. And then uh, another guy that's kind of a, a hope here is Caleb Artis, redshirt freshman. He's got everything you're looking for, except for he is a very raw prospect. He did not really get football as a, as a, as a high school player, had some injuries. Um, if he could unlock all of that potential, he's 6'4", 315, and is like that 315 walking around, not like has to get up there. That's kind of a, one of those guys that they took a flyer on with a lot of potential. If they can get something out of him, that would that would solve the problem. Over at three technique, it's kind of what you'd expect. It's Hakeem Beeman coming back once again, and then Zane Durant filling in that secondary role that we are vacating with uh, with Izzard moving over to the one technique, and then Townley as the guy, the third guy in that rotation. Um, so we're thinning out that position pretty severely by moving two players over and then not really replenishing anything with Tyreek Blanding, who's going to take time to grow into the position as a freshman, and then Townley, who's moving inside after flirting with the transfer portal. You mentioned uh, Caleb Artis, who is listed at 315. I pointed out previously on the show that he's the only player listed at over 300 pounds. As raw as he is, is it fair to expect him to make that kind of leap no in one more year no no to me he's on kind of a traditional trajectory for an offensive or defensive lineman which is 
by year three, we're going to find out what he has. But from just, and I know that this is kind of a frustrating thing, is like he needs to learn football. And football is a complex sport. Even at some of the more simple positions, understanding offensive schemes, what they're trying to do to you, how to defeat it, the different techniques to defeat it, right down to remembering all of that and your fundamentals of, okay, I've got to be on this side of the blocker. I've got to do all. And if it's not coming naturally to you, you do have to take more time to do it. So I think that if he plays at all this year, that is a win. I don't expect him to be a regular contributor. The last thing before we get out of here that I do want to talk about is that they don't have to play three technique and one technique. And, and a quick re- rephrasing of that one technique we've been talking about is the run stuff or three technique is the athletic guy. You can play left and right. So you split that job equally between the two positions and therefore one guy doesn't have to do it all the time. I'll tell you what, I want to ask you one more question on that theory, but we'll hold that off for quarter number two. Stick around for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. It's quarter number two of our show. T. Frank, we finished up offensive positional review last week. This week, we're uh, starting on the defensive side of the ball. Quarter number one, we talked defensive tackles. Before we get to defensive ends, which is what I want to do in this segment, I've, last question, you started to hit it and we, as we were running out of time, is are there things Manny Diaz can do when you maybe don't have the prototypical one-technique guy? Yeah. So you're going to play, I'll call it two threes then, what can he do to overcome the fact that they're missing a a one technique? So I think that this is actually kind of what his defense does. And that's that's why I wanted to preface the whole thing with the silver lining so it didn't sound all like doom and gloom. This is this is a problem that a lot of teams have, by the way, is, hey, we don't have a dominant one technique because when kind of like offensive tackle, they are very rare players. And to find a guy with size and power and movement skills that isn't just a giant lump in the middle of your defense that you can do more things with, um, that's very rare. So teams make decisions, right? Do you want to just then recruit big guys that are run stuffers only but don't provide you much else? Or do you want to find a way to use more athletic players at non-traditional positions? And that's what I said at the beginning is this is Manny Diaz's defense. If you look at, um, you know, historically, a lot of the players he's played with, 
they have not had 315 pound one techniques that solely play that position. They flip sides, they flip strengths, they move around, they stunt. They're active. They don't give you, as the offensive lineman, a clear and obvious target to hit every single play. It, it kind of makes evaluation of the defense hard because it's just like a car crash going on. It's it's like um uh it's like a flash mob or something like that. I was trying to think of like the Benny Hill, the thing where they're all running around in, in double speed <laughs> and you don't know what's supposed to be going on. Like that that's kind of what it looks like at times, um, until you kind of train yourself to see the different techniques that they're using. Um, which made it difficult to really learn this defense fully because it's so there's so much stuff going on. And for the offense, and the point I'm trying to illustrate here, for the offense, it's the same thing, is that if you're a new offensive lineman and you're trying to play a zone technique and the guy that you're supposed to block your area, that guy leaves or they shift their uh, their front, they stem to a different front, now you have to go after a different football player. And if you're not mentally on top of your game, that means a free rusher at the at the running back or the ball carrier or the quarterback in pass protection. So those are the things that they're already doing to mitigate not having a three a, a dominant one technique. And that's what a lot of teams have done. It's where defenses have evolved. This is this is the exact problem is how do we overcome this lack of talent? And uh, there are ways around it. So the, what I talked about with with that, you know, playing a different style of not delineating each position that's part of it but then how you're using those players and here's the last one just play eight in the box which is schematically a little bit dangerous if you don't have a great secondary but flood the box with numbers when you can that's that's another technique to overcome not having guys dominating their gap on the line scrimmage a tremendous explanation t frank but my headline from the whole explanation is the benny hill reference points to you for that I mean, I got there eventually, so thank you. It was not clean. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's talk defensive end. And I'll tell you, I, I'm very excited about this position group. Right off the bat, if you're starting with Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, and Deny Dennis Sutton, that's a pretty good start for a defensive end rotation, T. Frank, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, slander, you are forgetting a mean Vanover, the flashiest of flash players from last season. I mean, you've got a quartet of of pass rushers um, that have proven, um, at least three of them have proven that they are contributors on this defense and denied Dennis Sutton just on the outside. Like he was working into the rotation as a as a uh, early down defensive end uh, at the end of the season. It wasn't just cleanup time it wasn't just mop-up duty at the end of games but uh, you know in those moments he dominated in some games so they have a really deep rotation I think this can be the best pass rush Penn State's had uh with James Franklin and and I don't say that lightly because you throw in Abdul Carter as well um Johnny Dixon was a good blitzer we'll see if there's somebody that can fill in for Tig uh who is going on to the NFL as one of the more versatile safeties in this draft but from a, from a blitz standpoint and from an overall pass rush, you got four guys on the outside plus blitzers. This is a very, very dangerous defensive end room. And again, is the it should be the strength of the team. Uh, I don't think that the, even on even with corners, all that stuff, this should be where they hang their hat next year is with these defensive ends. I think we're all excited about that possibility of the pass rush. Nick Tarburton has moved on. We think of him as a run-stopping defensive end. Is there any concerns there of, among the defensive ends as run-stoppers? 
No, because uh, I think you've seen them play well uh, as, a, as a unit against the run. Chop Robinson played the run pretty well last year, and he flashed early in, in the season of being disruptive and using his quickness in his hands to disengage from run blocks as well as pass rushing uh, pass blocks. So he's going to be the starter coming in. There's not going to be any. He rotates in, and, and you know, Tarburton is the unofficial starter. He's going to be the starter. And behind him, um, you know, kind of in a, in a, I think a kind of one-to-one in the backup role is Zariah Fisher and Amin Vanover. Vanover was a tweener guy that played some defensive tackle early in his career. He's very physical. He's quick and he's strong. So those are the things you need to be good at run defense. He just, I think needs to clean up a little bit of his technique and get an opportunity. And then Zariah Fisher, former linebacker with a uh, eerily similar game trajectory and body type to Nick Tarburton. Another guy that's a physical um, holds his gap really well, gets in there square in his gap and causes a lot of problems in the run game. So you've got kind of a run first guy in Zariah Fisher, who we'll see what he can do as a pass rusher. I'm interested to see more of what he is as a, as a defensive end athlete, because he was a very good linebacking athlete. He just didn't have the speed uh, overall for the position. And then on the other side, you know, the, the right defensive end is how I, they do left and right. Um, and there's a, as always, there's crossover, there's sub packages, there's third down, but in kind of neutral situations, this is how, uh, you know, I have it broken out. Adisa Isaac, another year removed from his Achilles injury. We could, we'll see if he's more explosive than he was last year. I don't think he was hundred percent in terms of the guy we saw previously. Uh, yet he played a lot of snaps. He was productive. He was not unproductive, even if he wasn't as explosive and dynamic as Chop Robinson. And Deny Dennis Sutton continues to get better. Um, I have my, I have my concerns about him reaching the five star potential this year. But he can he can outwork those potent those, those concerns I have with his profile pretty easily. You know, uh, putting in the work of becoming a more agile, fluid defender and not so upright. And, uh, you know, kind of using his pads a little bit better. So even beyond then, you got Smith Vilbert, who is currently on the roster. We'll see where that goes. And then three defensive ends coming in this class. So they are very deep at defensive end, probably actually too deep. You mentioned uh, Zariah Fisher. I was curious about him. He we expected him to miss the entire season that he made it back to at least step in for a couple games for a couple plays. I'm not sure if it was too small a sample size for you to get any feel for his comeback for injury T Frank. Yeah. And it's too soon. You know, I, I, this is the same conversation with PJ Mustafer was like, okay, he's cleared to play, but what does that mean? Football is not about just being out there. It's about being physically and mentally able to make a difference. And uh, the fact that he was out there is a huge win. And I don't really, I don't necessarily want to go beyond that because I don't think we're going to see, what Zariah Fisher actually is until after this offseason of conditioning and training. Cause this is the, this is what I said about PJ and I'll just reiterate it. If this is the first time you're hearing about, uh, you know, hearing this show or this rant from me, you, you mentioned that there aren't any defensive tackles that are over 300 pounds right now on the roster. The off season is when you gain that weight because you can't, unless you're naturally like Vega, Ioane walking around 300 plus pounds, like that's your natural body type. You have to gain that weight and you can't maintain that weight while performing. You can't lift enough weights and still have enough peak performance on your, you know, game day to then be a difference maker. So guys naturally lose weight over the season. Uh, if you are recovering from an injury, 
if you are doing rehab and not lifting, you are not maximizing your physical potential. So Zariah Fisher coming back and going through rehab and having a stable knee and being the athlete he is naturally without weight training and all the dedication in the offseason, that's not the player he's going to be this year. So I don't want to make any assertions or any sort of insights off of that because I think he will be a fundamentally different player after a full season of doing squats and deadlifts, which is fundamental to being a good football player. I think that's a, a great point, T. Frank, and one that we often miss is when a player is out for injury, comes back and is on the field, he's not necessarily at 100%. Even if the injury is 100%, they yeah. are not at their peak yet because they haven't had that opportunity to do the offseason work that yeah. all his healthy teammates are doing. And the NFL always skews our perspective of like health and recovery because guys that have offseason surgery, you can rehab 24-7. Like if you are a maniac, you can your job now is to rehab. These are still students that have lives that are not professional athletes. So, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, Adrian Peterson, guys that have made these miraculous comebacks from from injuries, knee injuries specifically here, but guys that have made these offseason, that's all they're doing. They're not going to Spanish. They're not going to econ. They are going and sitting in the hyperbaric chamber with 108% oxygen and uh, and doing uh, their, their rehab exercises and trying to get back and shorten that curve as quickly as possible. And even then, they're still better after a full offseason of normal conditioning. So I, that's I, my rant about health and, and these things of expecting guys to be 100 uh, percent the next following season, meaning all the way back to their full potential. And you also have to realize that college football players are freak athletes. The NFL are the freaks of the freaks, too. So, yeah. so there's a different caliber there. Real quick, just a last comment on Smith Vilbert. And what your expectations are from him? I know you just mentioned him briefly. Well, I mentioned him briefly after five or six names. So that's, I, I think that should tell you what you're curious about. And I, 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 I think professionally, it is distasteful to project guys leaving. Um, and I think that's a pretty, that's a universal among my colleagues. But if you just look at the numbers at a position and you examine how guys played last year and the fact that he was a healthy scratch until the bowl game, um, if you've got a ways to come back and there are that many talented players at your position, unless he's dedicated to staying here, like it is going to be tough. You know, a guy that was uh, once a contributor, we'll see what he decides to do after spring practice. Very good, T. Frank. Stick around. Quarter number three, we're going to take your questions and we're going to ask T. Frank. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He's T. Frank Carr. This is quarter number three, and that means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions We asked T. Frank, and at the end of the segment, he's going to pick out the best question. Whoever asked the question is the winner of our prize, brought to you from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com. This is the place with all the great barbecue sauces, the barbecue rubs, the Bloody Mary mix, and among those rubs, barbecue rubs, is the brand new coffee barbecue rubs. They are fantastic. And if you ask the best question, you are going to get a chance to sample those great coffee barbecue rubs. T. Frank, my friend, are you ready? I am. I am prepared, and uh, I don't have any snappy one-liners. So so when we record, it's too early in the morning. My brain is not uh, firing at all cylinders, despite the two and a half cups of coffee. But yes, let's get to it. And I promise you there are no questions about Delaware. Let's get started. Let's <laughs> let's go with Mike from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. And Mike says, we hear a lot about the importance of stacking four and five star players in recruiting. But lately, I've heard some four star offensive line recruits described as projects. That seems contradictory. Is it? No, no, it's not. It's not contradictory because what we're describing is the type of player you're getting. So there are guys that, and this is kind of what I, this is kind of the basis of of what I do is to describe the project. If the project isn't worth doing, then that is not a four-star player. If it's uh, a four-star player, that means that physically they have the talent to play the position, but they haven't received proper coaching. They're green uh, at certain things, or, you know, like they just, Usually it means they don't have a grasp of the fundamentals of football. That's, that's really what we're talking about here. So when it comes to a project um, and it's a four star, that's a good project to have, but certain guys come in and they have, um, you know, a, an advanced understanding of the fundamentals of a position. I'm thinking specifically because we're, we're basically referencing the offensive line and some of the guys like Jim Diono at the, at uh, tackle who joined the Nittany lines in the late recruiting period. Javen Williams is a bit of a project himself as a five-star. He has not pass blocked in his career. Really, like his pass blocking is not up to the level that he could start next year or he could be a part of the conversation. He's on a similar trajectory to Drew Shelton, who was also a project, but sometimes guys pick it up more quickly than you expect. Uh, Alex Birchmeyer specifically comes in with the size the length, the athleticism, and the positional understanding that he could contribute earlier than some other guys. So it's a characterization of their skills, both physical and, um, you know, positional when it comes to talking about projects versus guys that are ready to play. Another guy who is, is a guy that's ready to play right now on the defensive line 
is Mason Robinson, but physically he's a bit of a project. I tend to think with Penn State's strength and conditioning that uh, guys that come in with the positional understanding, I'm not concerned about them getting bigger and stronger as long as they can get into the weight room and get something done before the football season starts. I always got the impression, too, at offensive line, oftentimes more so than other positions, they need to physically mature. It's something about the bigger bodies. They it oftentimes needs to be reshaped more often than a wide receiver or running back or a defensive back. Sorry, can you repeat that again? Yeah, I, I got also distracted feel- thinking about something. Okay. I I also always got the feeling at offensive line, maybe even more so than defensive line, uh, their bodies need to be reshaped often when they reach college. You have an 18-year-old, almost like in a fist fight against a 22-year-old, and it's not quite fair because the 22-year-old is already physically mature and has had four years in a collegiate weight room. Yeah, and and that's kind of the idea too when it comes to project players on the, on those sides of the ball is that um, some guys you don't want them coming in. This 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 probably describes something that fans misunderstand. Penn State's not looking for guys that are three hundred pounds when they come to the university because typically you're not a good three hundred pounds in high school. You've gained bad weight. When they talk about bad weight, it just wasted weight, fat, not functional um, muscle mass. And offensive linemen obviously have more um, fat body fat percentage than other positions that can't because they need to run more and run for longer periods of time and sprint and all that stuff. But offensive linemen are mostly muscle like they are. Even those guys are still 75, 80 percent body mass muscle. So you you don't want guys coming in that you have to reshape their body either way. And so 275, 285 pounds for an offensive lineman is really good because if you can, sh- again, shorten that curve of the natural growth of an 18-year-old to a 19-year-old, you gain muscle really easily. So, you know, if you can get to 295 and in, in your first year, you're already to that point. You don't want to be having to shed down to 275 and then start over. That's what James Franklin talks about with good, good and bad weight. Let's go to Henry and Altoona, who says, my concern about the offensive line is at right tackle. Can Caden Wallace improve enough to be the guy, or is he at the point now what we see is what we get? Or is Drew Shelton ready to be the alternative? How about any of the new guys? None of the new guys, again, what we just talked about, I don't think you want to be in a position where you're expecting freshmen to play on the offensive line. So they have to be rare breeds. And Drew Shelton, by the way, played well. He was not exceptional last year. Like you watch the film and you can see a lot of the flaws and the warts and the project sort of things we're talking about. The fact that he was able to play and they could operate an offense is a credit to him and a credit to the offense. But it is not indicative of he is he was a superstar last year. He will be a part of the conversation. He's going to battle for that position. And there's a it's not too far that you have to go to go back to Caden Wallace and Bryce Effner splitting time at right tackle. I don't think Caden Wallace is getting replaced. So if you have directed your ire at him for being an underperforming player, he's going to be there. I just I don't see any way around it. Um, He's a valuable player. I think he can get better. Uh, I think he has gotten better. Some of the things that, and and by the way, this is the other thing is uh, having talked to him, 
He's a very introspective, intelligent person who is not from my from my view in a limited window, by the way. He doesn't seem like a guy that is uh, as ego getting in the way of his progression. He knows what he needs to work on. He's worked on it the last two seasons. He got injured last year. So we'll have to see, uh, you know, how all of his flexibility and his mobility work has gone this offseason. That's he. Know- so we'll see. And I think between the two of them, they can have a good player at that position, even if it is the least stable of all the offensive line positions, it will be good enough because you don't have an offensive line that is five-star uh, All-Americans left to right. That is not how offensive lines work. They can be good by having an aggregate of good to average players across the board. Let's go to David in Charlotte. He says, what does this team need to improve on to beat Michigan or Ohio State? Oh, um... I it's just this. This is so annoying because I mean, it's like James Franklin. It's the little things. Penn State was in the game until uh, the third quarter against uh, Michigan. That one unraveled really fast, right? Because it was just two runs. The game was over, but they were in the game and they were as much as they were not playing well and they were being snowed over. The score was pretty close. Um, And then if you look at the Ohio State game, they were down into the final with one of the uh, playoff team that went toe to toe with Georgia, they were taking it to them all the way until the fourth quarter. I thought they were the better team for a big part of that game. It's just, it's finishing. And sometimes that comes down to athletes. JT Tulumoliao took over that game. Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum took over that third quarter. So it's just being in your gap. It is blocking the dude you're supposed to block. It's if you're supposed to cut block him, get him on the ground. And, you know, that that can be um, the difference between just millimeters, inches, seconds, all of those things. Um, I don't think there's one thing. That's the problem. It's like there's not one thing that you could say that they need X, Y or Z to happen for, for to beat those teams regularly or to be on that level. They need their good players to play their best games and, and to have clean games. Don't make mistakes. One thing I will mention is you mentioned the mistakes that Penn State made in those games, but you also mentioned players on the opposing team, Michigan and Ohio State, who had stars who took advantage of those mistakes. The stars were stars in the big games. I think one of the things Penn State has going for them going into next season is they have that caliber of player at multiple positions. They have yeah. a star at running back, two of them, in fact. They have an Abdul Carter at linebacker. They have a defensive end like a Chop Robinson. They've got guys who could come up and make big plays. It's yeah. I'm curious to see if they will do that come next year. Uh, let's go to our good friend uh, Steve in Potomac, Maryland, who says, uh, T. Frank, what spring position battles are you watching? So I actually, um, so what we're doing throughout this show has been talking about my reassessment of the of the defensive roster. And what we didn't get to today were the, the safeties. I went back and I watched the safeties in the corners because, like I said, Manny Diaz's defense is, is, is pretty intricate. They do a lot of things. So you can't learn everything all at once while also producing five shows a week and doing this, you know, all the things that are in your job regularly. So you have to, 
sparse things out of how you're going to learn football, which is again, why I say, if you want a true freshman to be an all American, like football is a hard game. You don't learn it all in one off season. So to me, looking at the safeties and examining what they did, it was a little bit illuminating in the past week or so. I think safety is a position. It's going to be interesting. Tig Brown did a lot for them. And I don't know that Keaton Ellis and Jalen Reed are at the caliber of guys that they've had at that position recently. We'll see about Reed. Um, But behind them, Zaki Wheatley and Kevin Winston, I think those guys are super talented. So that's what the main position I'm going to be watching in the spring. Defensive end, I have a hard time because I think they're all going to play. But, you know, defensive line, who's going to be, as you pointed out, who's going to be the star? Who's going to be the breakout player? Because they were good last year and Chop Robinson had star moments. But I think he can be a transformative player. He's one of the better pass rushing prospects with athleticism and explosiveness and all that stuff that they've had. Um, And then uh, guard, uh, I think, is going to be interesting. You know, Landon Tangwell coming off an offseason surgery. I had my whole speech about that. J.B. Nelson is a good football player. And then Vega, Ioane, and uh, Sal Wormley. I think those two positions are going to be fascinating. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number three. Stick around quarter number four. We're going to talk linebackers, and T. Frank's going to name our winner. Stay tuned. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim, and this is quarter number four of our show. T. Frank, before we start talking about the linebacker position, We need you, my friend, to name the winner of the Ask T. Frank segment. Uh, It's uh, it recently has become who has stumbled onto what T. Frank has been thinking about most recently. So I get to pick the winner. So I get to decide that stuff. So we're going with Stephen Potomac just because I've been fascinated by Penn State safety position. And, um, you know, I'm going to be digging deeper into that in the next week or so, depending on if I can get my. uh, my house unflooded from the dishwasher that flooded <laughs> last night. So, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully I'll have something more uh, deep and intricate on the safeties in Tig Brown um, this week. And and so I wanted to give that to Steve because I, I'm I'm seeing the safety position with fresh eyes where I, I thought every you know, the last two years, it's been look how talented they are. Look how talented they are. They are very talented, especially with the freshmen that are coming in as well. But the top line starters, there's not a Tig Brown stepping in for Tig Brown. Like I, I, that's not, I don't see that. 
like Tig Brown stepping in for Jaquan Brisker, a superstar yep. at the position. So yep. very good. Steve will get be getting in touch with you. You are our winner. And T. Frank, I hope more than hope, which is not a strategy, my friend, you're up to date on safeties because you know next week we're talking defensive backs. So yes. cornerbacks, safeties, we expect you to be up to speed. None of this hope stuff. Be up to speed, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> we'll get All it right. done. Let's let's talk a great topic. Let's talk linebackers. And if we're going to talk about the linebacker position, T. Frank, I think we've got to start with where we're where we were prior to the start of the twenty two season, where we thought the linebacker position was going to be, to where it is today. Very different mm-hmm. feeling, isn't there? Yeah, uh, so mostly. It depends on, again, if you're going to be positive glass half full or negative glass half empty because the Mike linebacker position hasn't changed during that whole time. It has been constant, and it has been uh, Kobe King and Tyler Elsden. But the uh, emergence of Abdul Carter as the next superstar freak and guy that just resets your expectations of what the position should look like and, and should act like and should be, um, yeah, that's a huge win for Penn State that he was able to play at that level last season. Um, so it creates some good problems for Penn State that we can get into. Namely, you've got two guys in Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter that should play the same position. They should play the will. And then it becomes, how do you get those guys on the field together, most importantly, and then make sure that they're out there in critical situations at the best position possible. So that's that to me, that's the whole thing with the with the linebacker conversation is how do you keep those guys on the field together and working in sync in the best position possible in every situation? Well, I'm making you the coach, T. Frank. How do you do that? So it's not hard on early downs or against teams that like to run the football because then you go with, and Manny Diaz uh, called it the big base last year. And I want to give him credit, by the way, for what we see. And, you know, some of the things I've talked about uh, when it comes to defense is, you know, what we saw previously, what to expect from this defense. But he has been more than willing to change and adapt. And that's the sign of a great coach is like, okay, so what are my best players? How do I put them in position to succeed? And um, he was able to get Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs on the field with their quote, big base position, moving Jacobs back over to the field linebacker position and then doing a rotation based on situations and reps and snaps and, and sub packages with Jonathan Sutherland and Dom DeLuca. So having the, having the, the cojones to change your mind, is a very, very, I think is a very good quality. And to admit that, like, I don't have to do one thing because that's what I do. But that does create, what do you do with that field linebacker position? Because they do so much with it and it comes off the field for sub packages. So when I talked to Curtis Jacobs before the 22 season, um, he talked about wanting to play third down, which you don't at Sam. So to me, that's the question is third down, and obvious passing situations. You can't play both these guys at the will. So how do you have to play one of them at the mic if you want them both to be on the field together? And I think when you go up against these teams that are pass heavy, you still want to have both those guys out there. You don't want to relegate one of them to the bench by formation because then every team can do that to you. So as much as the depth chart matters, to me, linebacker is like just a sub package position. 
we're going up against a three by one team. Well, then I think Abdul Carter should play Mike in those situations. You're going up against a team that runs 21 personnel two running backs and a tight end. You can bring Tyler Elsden or Kobe King onto the field. And then you can, you can have that positional disbursement we just talked about. So it's to me, it's about how do you get those guys in the box together as much as possible without, I think, moving Abdul Carter to the mic full time because they don't want to do that. So I'm trying to thread that needle and find as many situations and sub packages and, and players that you want to put out there together to make that happen. Tell me more about Abdul Carter. Uh, very impressive as a true freshman T Frank, but I also got the feeling both he got better as the season progressed and Manny Diaz got better at making use of him as the season progressed. So let's talk about those sub packages because that's really where he came into the game first, and it was in their prowler package, their third down package, and he was primarily just an edge rusher to start, and that makes sense, right? Go get the quarterback. Stay in your stay in your rushing lane, but go get the quarterback as your job, and then from there they would drop him and spot drop him into, into some positions and kind of kept it simple. But as the season went on, he started to get the position more. And one of the things I talked to, to James Franklin about uh, throughout the year, just kind of having this ongoing conversation is how do you give him enough without giving him too much and making him not play fast? And he said, that's, that's really the, the line you're riding. And he always felt like Abdul could do more, but they didn't want to push it and find out. That's not a thing this year. It's, it's all full steam ahead. He's a smart kid. He's now had a full year in the defense. He's going to have an off season. It's what can he do and make him do it to the, the most and the best of his ability. One thing that he did that did not get better last year. And that I think he still is learning, which is typical of a linebacker, even, you know, talking about Micah Parsons is the coverage part. There were times that he made mental mistakes that were both obvious and sometimes not obvious and uh, there were situations where he would drop coverage or bust coverage or was just late. But then there were times you saw him running with a, a running back 20 yards down the field in perfect position and the ball bounces off his head in the Rose Bowl. So the physical ability is there. It's about understanding the position and making sure you're playing it really well. And that's part of the reason that moving him to Mike, finding out how much coverage he can understand, how much you want to use him as a spy, how much you want to blitz him from there and how much you can get people into position while understanding that, you know, from the internal perspective, they are happy with with the two that they have there. So how do you how do you use his skills at both positions to raise the profile of the defense and hide your weaknesses? Because there are weaknesses, I think, especially in coverage with those two Mike linebackers, which, by the way, is typical for Mike linebackers in football. Let's talk about those uh, Mike linebackers. Let's talk about Tyler Elsden and Kobe King. Did you see improvement from either one of them as the season progressed? So I don't think Elsden was bad. And this is so this is this is the problem is I don't think Elsden was bad from a mental standpoint. He was in position 90% of the time. He made mistakes because he's human. Um, but the problem is the margin for error. So you're in position, but you are late to your gap. And then Donovan Edwards breaks through and gets 25 yards. You are uh, you've been on the field for 35 minutes. You don't hit the proper side of the, the center filling your gap. And he overpowers you because you don't have long arms and you're not perfectly in position. And there goes another run. That's his problem. It's not being in position. It's not making a lot of mental mistakes. It's more about um, he he can't be wrong, even from a I'm right, but I'm not 100 percent right. 
So if that's what he needs to do this offseason is get as fast, you know, increase his speed and try to increase his mobility because there were times in coverage, kind of the same thing. He's in his zone, but he's not going to react quickly and he doesn't have the longest arms to break up passes. Kobe King, it was more mental. It was, is he in the right spot? Is he triggering on a blitz when he's supposed to? Um, but I also don't think he has the athleticism of the other two linebackers that people seem to think he does. He is closer to Tyler Elsden than he is to Abdul Carter. So just getting him up to mental speed will help. And I think is kind of a solve for that position with his better fluidity and hip movement and ability to get into coverage and zones and things like that. Plus he's 250 and has great length. So he can be a good run stopper there too. So that, yes, I did see some from Kobe King, but I also don't think that uh, Elsden was from a mental standpoint as bad as people want to say he was. All right, T. Frank, we've got just a couple minutes left, so I'm going to ask you two questions in one. First, the returning linebackers, Keon Wiley and Tyrese Mills, they're in their second year in the system. Then you have a set of three freshmen coming in. Who's ready to step up among the two returning guys, and is there a chance we're going to see any of those true freshmen on the field? I'll answer the second part first, and that's no. I don't think any of them are ready to contribute because uh, Tammy Robinson's 230 pounds and 6'3", and coming off a knee injury and hasn't played football basically in a year and a half, two years. So he needs. Luckily, they're all uh, uh, Rojas and and Robinson have have enrolled early. So I think that's the best thing for Tamir is to get back into football, get back into lifting, get back into the team atmosphere and practice and all of those things. So that's good. But it, he also has the farthest to go in terms of positional understanding. Rojas isn't a great athlete, but at 195 pounds, even if he's 205, I think he still is not a good 205 just yet. Um, so I don't expect anything out of him. Plus that Sam linebacker position where he'll play. You've already got three guys that I think you're expecting to play. And then KV on keys is kind of the same thing. Former defensive end has a little bit more in coverage, a little bit more linebacker, but still 195 pounds. He needs to grow into the will position. And that leaves Tyrese Mills as the guy. Tyrese Mills was probably going to be a part of the conversation in some way last year, but he got hurt. He has the skills to be a great two-way player. He blitzed at Lackawanna really well. He covered deep. He covered in the short area. He is that he's that striker. He's that Sam linebacker you're looking for that has the physicality to be a good defend uh, linebacker in run defense, but also has the range to play in coverage and can blitz. That's why like the whole Curtis Jacobs, where does he play? To me, that's the biggest question about next year is because if he's out in the field, you still want to get Tyrese Mills on the field. You still want to get Dom DeLuca on the field. So he's got to play the will as well, but you don't want to move your superstar potential superstar out of his position. So how do you get those two together on the field as much as possible in their best positions? And I think uh, pretty clear last year that Sam is Jacob's best position, but you can't have the Sam linebacker out there in third down covering a, a, a slot corner one-on-one. -on -one. So getting those guys and getting Mills on the field, mixing and matching, that's however you butter that bread. That's the success next year for the linebacker position. Very good, T. Frank, but that is going to have to be it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.